Well, this morning I'm starting a brand new series that I'm entitling The Good Life. And I want to talk to you about the Ten Commandments today. And we're going to be looking at these Ten Commandments over the next few weeks. Now, when I was a child and a teenager, the Ten Commandments intimidated me. I almost took them as negative. Was there anybody else in here like that? You felt kind of, yeah, I've seen a lot of hands. They just kind of felt negative. And in my school, my grammar school, and in our high school, the Ten Commandments, along with the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, were displayed prominently. I know I grew up in another era and another generation, but we started every day with prayer. We started every day with reading the Bible. And... We stood up and then we pledged allegiance to the flag and that was the beginning of our school day. And I tell kids that now and they go, wow. But the Ten Commandments, as I've studied them and just meditated through them and thought about them through the years, you sometimes hear me refer to them as the Big Ten. They have become one of the most positive set of laws in the Scripture. And I'm going to be using law and principle interchangeably in this series. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. And let's go first, before the Ten Commandments were ever given, let's go first to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6 and verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Now notice the progression there. Your heart, your soul, your strength. You move from the innermost part of your being to the outermost part of your being, to everything that pertains to you. So from your heart, your soul, and your strength, and later Jesus would add to this your mind as well. And we won't talk about that this morning, but we will talk about that later on in the series. But what he's saying here is you can know God. Look at your neighbor and say, you can know God this morning. Now, I didn't say you can know about God. I said you can know God. I look around this room this morning. I I see people, and I can talk about your personalities. You can talk about your likes and your dislikes because I know you. Several people have already told me this morning, you love me, and I am grateful for that. I've told several people in here that I love you. You can know God, and you can know that God loves you, and you love God. Can you say amen? So let me start over again. This is hugely important because this is unlike any other religion that existed at the time or has existed since then that you can know God and that God loves you and you can love him. So listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength from your inmost being to your outermost being. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today and repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Father, I'm asking you in this series that you're going to show us, Lord, how the Ten Commandments, Lord, lead us not in just to a good life, but into the good life I ask you, Lord, that you would touch our friends online, you would touch our friends here, and open our heart and our mind to the gospel, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This week I had lunch with someone that had been interviewed, and there'd been a full-length story done on them in the Detroit News, and 
we met not long ago and decided we would have lunch together. And when we sat down, he just looked across the table after we just had gotten together, and he said, what is an evangelical? What does that mean? Who, who are evangelicals? And most of what he related to me had to come to do with what the press has to say about politics and things of this nature. And let me tell you something. Do not look to the press for a definition of what an evangelical is, okay? Do not look to the media because they look at us as a political block. And I got to tell you, most of the people I know do not fit into any of those categories that they try to break us up into. And so I answered his question about what an evangelical was, that an evangelical took the Word of God seriously. We believe that the Word of God is inspired. We believe that the Word of God is infallible. And we believe that God gave us his word because he wanted us to know him, that we could know him, and that he knew us. We also believed, I, I shared with him, that lost people, and then I explained what we meant by lost people, they really matter to God. And God loves everyone, no matter their race, their ethnicity, no matter what religion they are, God loves them, and he sent his son Jesus to die for their sins. But I said, what sets an evangelical apart from most religions is this. Not only do we know that we can know God and love God, but we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, for these are the very words of Jesus himself. As I thought about that on my drive home after having lunch with this, this man, smart man, wise man, college professor, an influential man, his owned several businesses in Detroit, and I really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit better and having this conversation. And I knew what I'd be preaching upon. I wondered how many of us really take to heart that we can know God and that we can love God and that God knows us. And do we understand that loving God means obeying God? Because it's real easy to say, I love you. It's real easy to sing songs about loving God. But when you read the Bible, Jesus tells us that to love him is to obey him. And that sounds kind of intimidating and negative to people. But you never give your children guidelines and principles and rules in order to hurt them. You give them principles and guidelines so that they can have a good life. Can you say amen to that? You give it to them because you want them to have a fulfilling life. You want them to have a meaningful life. You want them to discover a life of purpose and significance and abundance. And so that's the reason that we have these rules. And the Bible tells us that we should commit ourselves wholeheartedly to knowing God and loving God. And I want you to focus on those two words, commit and wholeheartedly. I'm committed to Becky. She's committed to me. We've always been faithful to one another. No matter where we've been in the world, we've been faithful. That commitment matters to us. It matters to our children. Believe it or not, it matters to you. Your commitment matters to us as well as our children because we chose to raise our children around people like you. And wholeheartedly doesn't mean, oh, gee whiz, i got to be faithful to Becky today. Can't I have one day a year that I can be unfaithful? Not if I want to live. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Not if I want to live 365 days a year, 24-7, a wholehearted commitment. 
I woke up this morning and she was snuggled up next to me and, and I just thought, I get to live every day with this woman. I, and then I lay there and I thought, I get to live every day with Jesus. That's what I mean about wholeheartedly committing. The Ten Commandments were never meant to enslave us. They were meant to enrich us. The Ten Commandments were never meant to be negative. They were meant to enrich our lives. We are not saved by keeping the Ten. If you could put that up for fill-in for everybody, the, the Ten Commandments are meant to enrich us. We are, we are not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is how we respond to the salvation that God has given us. That's why Jesus would say, if you love me, then obey me. The Ten Commandments were given to the children of Israel after they had been delivered from their slavery in Egypt. You and I, after we're delivered from the slavery of sin, we get to receive the Ten Commandments and to live the fulfilling life that God has given to us. Think of the Ten Commandments like that. They're a green light towards a life of freedom. They're a green light towards a life of abundance. They're a green light towards a life of security. The Ten Commandments is God's clear roadmap for you and for me to be able to grow and thrive. And the Ten Commandments, now listen, this is important, because when I was younger, as a teenager, I didn't understand this. The Ten Commandments were meant to free me from guilt, from slavery, and from sin. That's the reason the children of Israel got them after they were delivered from slavery. And as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it's why when we read our Bible, suddenly the Word of God just leaps out at us in boxcar-sized letters sometimes because we see that Word is for me. So the first commandment leads me to this decision. I want to make God the center of my life. We sing a song around here often, Jesus at the center of it all. And we want Jesus to be like the hub of the wheel. We want God to be the hub of the wheel that holds all the spokes together. Because I remember when I worked for Dr. Aaron Wall, Dr. Wall made this statement one time. He says, Christians today are compartmentalizing their lives. They've got their marriage. They've got their family. They've got their career. They've got their church. They've got their hobbies. And they've never learned how to synthesize all those areas of their life. And because of that, they have a different ethic for work than they would have at home. They have a different ethic for church. They can lie without batting an eye because they're compartmentalized. It's better for us to think about God as the hub of our life, not a priority that today I'm going to do this, tomorrow I'm going to do this but that everything I do in my life every single day, Jesus is first in my life. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. Now, there are no other gods. The Lord our God is one. He is God alone. But there are idols, there are gods in our life that we allow sometimes to take place in our life. Remember, the first principle of success is to keep God at the center of your life. Because with every biblical principle, there comes a biblical promise. And when God gives us this commandment that we're to have no other gods, we're not to let the blessings of God become an idol in our life. We're not to let the family that God has given us become an idol in our life. Not to let money become an idol in our life or anything else. 
when we keep God at the center of it all, then God blesses everything else that pertains to us. How do we do that? Number one, we adore him. We adore him, or you could say adoration. And when I say adore him, I'm talking about the fact that God has captured your attention. God has captured your love. God is the one that you can't stop talking about. God is the one you just simply can't get enough of. We had our grandson there for almost two weeks. Becky and I are still talking, and even Ben and Amy are talking sometime how much we miss having Bear around because we love him. He was the center of attention for all of our family when we went home. Even his cousins were just loving on him. God has got to be the center of our attention, the center of our love. Second thing is we trust him. God gives me my sense of security. God gives me my sense of peace. God knows that I know I can count on him in every circumstance and every situation of life. Let me say that again. That's what it means to trust God. I can count on him in every circumstance, every situation in life. Christ is my security. The third thing is supplication. To, to, to put God at the center of it all means that I go to God with my needs. When I'm hurting, when I'm in trouble, when I need forgiveness, when I need wisdom, when I need his help, when I need his assistance, when I need encouragement. I love how the Bible says that there were times when David would kneel and encourage himself in the Lord. And how did he encourage himself? by reminding himself who God was and what God did in his life and worshiping him. And then finally this morning, the way that we can put God first is to every single day live a life of thanksgiving. He's the one that we thank when our table is full. Lately, I have noticed it has called a lot of people, except for people that I'm your pastor, it catches people off guard when I say, can we pray and give God thanks for the food that we eat? And a lot of times people go, oh, and I don't mean to embarrass them, and I try to get it in there before they lift up their knife or their fork. But I think sometimes as Americans, we have forgotten how God has blessed this land. There was a time when the majority of the nation, not perfectly, but when the majority of the nation put God first in their life, and it is not an accident that America has been blessed like no other nation has. It's because God was first in the hearts of so many people. Never forget, it is not our strength, it is not our savvy that has made us rich. The Bible, God says, he makes us rich and he adds no sorrow to it. It's God who blesses us when we keep him at the center of our life. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? It's a principle followed by a promise. Now, let me answer this question, especially for some of you that might be li listening online or maybe you're visiting today and you don't understand. God is not an insecure deity. God is not insecure in his ego. He doesn't need to be the center of attention to know who he is. But the reason God deserves to be at the center of our life is, number one, he's sovereign. He made all of this. He made this home for us. We came in this morning to have prayer in my study just before I walked out here, and Pastor Corey came in the office. He said, I can tell you this, Adam and Eve weren't running around in this kind of weather in the Garden of Eden. And I said to him, well, maybe that's where the first mink coat came from, you know? You see, God, God made this world, but when we sinned, God still intervened to protect us. 
God sustains this world. God controls this world. And God is not limited by time or what people do. God's will is going to be done. Somebody say amen this morning. One day Jesus Christ is coming back. And if, he, if I die before he comes back, I will open my eyes in the presence of Jesus Christ. Somebody say, come on, victory this morning. That's good news. Secondly, he's my sovereign Lord. And when I say he's my sovereign Lord, God is in control of my life. Thirdly, God's, my life flows from the very sovereignty of God. Everything in my life, everything about my life, it flows because God made it. Ten. This big ten that we call the Ten Commandments that I was so, sus not suspicious, but so negative of and so fearful of when I was a child... God has shown me since that time that, number one, if I want the horizontal right, I've got to get the vertical right. So if you look at that cross for just a moment, think about the vertical part of the cross. Think about keeping God at the center of it all. Christ was sacrificed for our sins so that we could be redeemed and put in right relationship with God. And when we're put in right relationship with God, look at the cross beam then we can be in right relationship with one another. That's the reason the first commands all have to do with God, and the subsequent commands have to do with our personal relationships with one another. You say, Pastor, why is this so important? Look at me. This is just common sense, but it's biblical. If you cut out the author of truth, then what you have are lies. If you cut out the creator of life, then you have no respecter of life. If you cut out the author of marriage, then you have no respect for marriage and you try to define marriage in any way that you want it. You see, keeping God at the center of it all keeps life not only in balance, but keeps us in a place where the principle works and the promise of God's blessings flow in our lives. If you cut out the author of morality, then all of a sudden anarchy begins to rule. If you cut out the one who says to us, if you will keep me first, I will bless you, and you cut him out of your life and you say, no, I want to be first, or you're going to have some other God is first in your life, then you allow the powers of hell to assault you. You and I don't live in fear of the devil. We don't live in fear of superstitions. We don't live in fear of demons. We don't live in fear of anything but God because we know that through our God we can do valiantly. Can we give him one more hand of praise for that this morning? Nothing is impossible to the child of God. And there's only room for one God in my life. That's the reason Jesus says you can't serve both money and God. There's only room for one God, only room for one. I think it was the point of the story of the rich young ruler. Remember him? He came to Jesus. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the ten, keep the commandments. And startlingly, even as a kid when I would read this, I'd go, that's not possible. Everybody's lied Everybody's done something wrong. And that, that young ruler makes a starting claim. I've kept all of these since I was a boy, Jesus. Have you ever met someone that was just a little bit arrogant? And Jesus wisely puts his finger right on the little G, the little God in his life, when he says to him, come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus told him, 
put his finger upon his money, and the young man, I think at that point, look at me, don't miss this, he went away sad. I think at that point, his illusion was bursted. He knew he had not kept all the commandments. Oswald Chambers said in his book, Biblical Psychology, and it should be on the screen, let me fix my heart on gain, and I do not see God. If I enthrone anything other than God in my life, then God retires and lets the other God do what it can. Let's read that one more time. Let that sink in your spirit. Let me fix my heart on gain, and I do not see God. If I enthrone anything other than God in my life, then God retires and lets the other God do what it can. What is Buddha going to do for you? What is money going to do for you? What are relationships going to do for you? What is Allah going to do? Only Jesus came to die and rise again to break the power of the Egypt in your life and deliver you from your sins and bring you into the good life. To bring you into the life that God wants you to have. Now let me tell you, here's a problem that we all have, myself included. You've heard the old hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the, the, the God I love. Oh, here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it with thy love from thy throne above. Why do we sing that hymn? Because as the hymn writer noted, we're prone to wonder. We're prone to drift. We're prone to be blessed. And it's why God warns them in the book of Deuteronomy when he tells them how he'll bless them. He'll say, now, let me warn you of something. When you have built houses and when you have planted vineyards, then you will think to yourself, I've done all of this. I've done all of that. And you will forget God. So it's important that we focus every day, refocus our lives to keep our hearts and our minds upon him. Don't allow a shadow deity to come into your life. This morning, after I lay there for a moment just giving God thanks, we have this little thing on my nightstand that it has a very dim light for, for my uh, control we have. And I had laid my hand over like this, and I don't know why. This sounds silly, but all of a sudden I remembered the shadows we used to make, like a dog and a dove and all of that. And so for a couple of minutes, I lay there laughing to myself, making shadows on the ceiling and trying to remember all of them. And I remembered this. I had written this down because John Calvin had said this years ago, we, we get these shadow deities. And for a while, my dog looked real. Maybe it's just so early in the morning. For a while, my dove looked real flying across the sea. And I'm chuckling to myself. And it may be that your shadow deity looks real, that it's somehow or another going to meet your need in life. But only Jesus can meet your need. Jesus be at the center of it all. Somebody say amen again. So number two... Keep your focus on God. That's what I'm trying to say. Keep your focus upon God because each of us are created with needs. We're created with a need of security. We're created with a need of purpose. We're created with a need of significance. But it's the focus we have that brings that significance of that security in our life. So maybe right out to the side of your outline this morning, 
What are you focused on? Who are you trying to please? What do you think about? These are the things that will help us ponder whether or not we're focused upon God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. He's talking about focus. He's talking about getting your focus right. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So you, you, you love your wife to the glory of God. You love your husband to the glory of God. You, you raise your children to the glory of God. If you're a golfer, you golf to the glory of God. If you play pool, you shoot pool for the glory of God. Whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. If you kill a deer when you go hunting, you do it for the glory of God and you bring the pastor the tithes. If you kill a hog, the pastor don't want no tithe off of that. The thing is, focus upon what God wants to do in your life. Number three, put God first in your income. Now, like the rich young ruler, this is the difficult one for most people. You put God first in your income. I quoted it to you just a few moments ago. It's from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. If you want to look it up later, God says, If you'll honor me with the first part of your income, I will make your barns filled to overflowing. You see, when I'm giving, it tests my priorities. Now, a friend of mine said something. He said this to me two or three times lately. And, and I think he's right. He said, you know, it doesn't matter what income level you are. And I'm not quite sure about that, but I think for the average person in America, because I know this has worked for some people who haven't made very much at all. He said, if you follow what we talk about here, the 10-10-80 plan, 10% tithe, 10% savings, live off of 80%. He said, in America, there's no reason why you can't become a millionaire. If you live off the 10-10-80, if you put God first. And tithing is a test of our priorities. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Because God knows the hole that money can get on our hearts. God knows the hole that money can get in our lives. Look at Matthew 6, 21. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If your treasure is upon God, then you, you realize it all belongs to him and you delight to give. You put him first in your life. So I don't want to put anybody under any condemnation if, you, if you're not, I'm not a millionaire. But the point is, if you put God first, he will bless you and fill your barns overflowing. I can tell you this, God has blessed me and I feel like I'm living in the overflow of all of God's blessings. And I know I'm living in the overflow of God's blessings. And you can too, but Jesus must be at the center of it all. He's the hub that holds the spokes of the wheel together. Together. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? I mean, this is so true. Another way you do this is by cultivating godly relationships. And we'll cover all of this in the Big Ten. Who's your inner circle of friends? Who are the people who influence you? Who do you turn to when you need counsel? 
Who do you turn to when you just need someone to listen to you and you open up your heart and pour it out? I'm going to tell you, I don't turn to people when I open up my heart. They look at me and say, you know what? You need to just suck it up, buttercup. I, I don't turn to those people. I don't turn to people that when I need wisdom, you know, they just got to go to a book or they got to go to the internet or they got to find somewhere. I want somebody that can speak to me out of the wisdom and the experience of a life well lived for the glory of God. Who are you trying to please today? That's a good question. Matter of fact, I'm going to, hey Siri, remind me, who am I trying to please? I just got an inspiring thought. Okay. You see? I asked, I just got an inspiring thought. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to change it to? Nothing. Never mind, Siri. Who are you trying to please today? That's the question. I, I, I want Becky to be pleased. I want my child. I, I want to please you with the word of the Lord. But more than anything, I want to please God. So if sometimes what God says for me to do is it pleasing to Becky or pleasing to someone else. I have to be faithful to the Lord. John Knox, who's one of my heroes, his wife would get aggravated with him. Because he would be in prayer. And one night she got out of the bed and came and scolded him. John, get up off your knees and come to bed now. He turned around and looked at her and says, hush, woman, I'm talking to God. I like that man. When they put him in house arrest in, in Scotland and wouldn't let him preach, when I went to Edinburgh, I got a tour of the house, and I look at the docent, and I said, where did John Knox preach out of this window at And when he would preach to the crowds on the street? And she said, that window right there. I said, does it still open? She goes, yes. I said, will you open it for me, and could I say something out that window? And she looked at me like, don't be weird. And so I just, when she opened the window, I leaned over, and I preached a one-point, one-illustration message and asked people to give their heart to Jesus, and I got a whole crowd. I know they were wondering what this crazy American was doing. I want you to know sometimes you just have to put yourself in the place where you are tested, is God first in my life? Who are you trying to impress? Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. And then Philippians, Proverbs 27 and verse 19, a mirror reflects a man's face but what he's really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. Circle that in your outline. The kind of friends he chooses. Let me just give you some tips for being a friend. You may want to jot these down. Be outgoing. Be outgoing. Be a treasure seeker. Look for people that can become a treasure in your life. Be hospitable. Always be willing to have people into your home. It doesn't matter what your home looks like or and never apologize, ladies, never apologize for your house if it's cluttered or you don't feel like it's like you'd like it to be. That's your house. That's where you live. If I come to your house, I, I'm going to pull off my shoes and, and just enjoy being at your house. Be someone that's empathetic. In other words, when you listen to people, look them in the eye. Listen to what they're saying. Be resourceful, but be self-sacrificing. And all of these principles I took from the life of Jesus. This is how we build godly relationships. 
And then, let's just wrap this up. I love to eat. I love good food. I love food that just dances on my tongue. I love spices. I love trying new foods. But there's nothing that I want in my stomach until first I've had the word of the Lord. It's just a principle I live by. Eat spiritually satisfying food. Eat spiritually satisfying food. Do you read novels, Pastor? Of course I do. I read a few every year. I want to keep up with what's going on. Do you read the news? Of course I do. But there's nothing like sitting down with God's Word or a good devotional by someone like Oswald Chambers that I quoted to you just a few minutes ago or a good book like Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life. There's nothing like a good book like Godly Men by Kent I can't even remember his last name. Just a great book for, for men of devotions, of being a godly man. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, desire God's pure word as newborn babies desire milk. Then you will grow in your salvation. Did you have a child like we did? There was time to eat. They were just greedy. I mean, they, they, they nursed greedily. They ate fast. They wanted to get as much as they could. And growing up, I used to love to help give the bottles to the calves and how they would just pull and suck on that nipple so hard. They were just greedy to get it. And if you held two bottles and it was more than two cows, they'd start trying to get up there to get it. I, I just love that imagery. Desire, God's pure word is newborn babies desire milk. If you desire, look at me, don't miss this. If you desire God's word and you just greedily take it in, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but take it in because you're hungry, you're thirsty, then the Bible says you will grow. You will not stagnate. You will not become a fossil. You will grow in Christ. And then finally this morning, steward your time. Every single day I ask the Lord, guide my steps. Help me choose wisely. If I were to open up and show you my OmniFocus where I keep all of my tasks and projects at, you'd go, good gracious. But daily, what I pray is, Lord, show me the big three I need to focus on today. Show me three big things I need to get done. If I can get these done, Lord, and it's moving me closer to what you want me to do as a pastor, or excuse me, as a, as a man, as a person, as a partner, or as Becky's husband, as a, as a parent, as my kid's father and my grandson's grandfather, as, as a pastor and as a pilgrim. Those are the five phases I move everything through. Help me to say, and then I can put all the little subtasks that need to get done, whether it's a phone call or an email or a letter. You just can't become overwhelmed with all the stuff that comes your way. You just ask the Lord daily, God, help me choose the three things. You say, Pastor, do you believe God leads you? Of course I do. And then there's sometimes when God makes those kairos moments that I have learned that come up that aren't on my list. They're not in omnifocus. They're not on any sheet of paper. They're just simply a task that I have to get done. Ephesians 5 and verse 16. Make the best use of your time. Despite all the difficulties of these days, don't be vague, but firmly grasp what you know to be the will of God. Would you stand with me?
And I want us to read this verse of Scripture together out loud. Ephesians 5, 16 and verse 17. Read it with me. Make the best use of your time. Stop. Steward your time. Jesus had a daily appointment with God. There's not a one of us in here that are better than Jesus. Make the best use of your time. Let's continue reading. Despite all the difficulties of these days, stop. I know you, some of you in here, you're facing some big challenges. And I'm asking you today to put God at the center of it all. Get your focus off your challenge. Get your focus off your difficulty. And get your focus upon Jesus. And when you do, you will find God will give you the wisdom, the resources, the strength, the encouragement, and above all, the power to do what he's called you to do. Can you say amen to that? That's why Paul, if you read the whole context, that's what Paul's getting at. Don't be vague. Read it with me. Don't be vague, but firmly grasp. Stop. Be clear about what God has called you to do in life. Be clear about what God's Word says. Almost every single day when I get done with my Bible reading, I take that section of Scripture I wrote, and it's called LAB, L-A-B, Life Application Bible. I look for a principle that I can put into my, my journal, and I recommend that Life Application Bible to you wholeheartedly. And I rewrite it in my own words, but look there because it's so good about giving you principles and questions to ask yourself. Grasp. Hang on to it. Don't let go of God's call. Nothing is worth the call of God upon your life. My aunt, when I'd asked Becky to marry me, my aunt Jeanette, who's in heaven now, she pulled me aside and she said, Denny, I want you to sit down. I want to talk to you. She said, I want you to grasp what kind of woman God has given you. She says, because there are going to be temptations along the way for you to let go. And she said, if you do, I've lived long enough to see the regret that comes to people who let go of what God has given them. And then she gave me a little Bible I still have with some principles or underlined. And she wasn't telling me that out of negativity. My uncle loved her. My uncle cared for her. My uncle was an amazing man. But she gave me those principles because she loved me and she wanted me to grasp what God had given me. Grasp what God has done for you in Christ. Don't allow the, look at me. Don't allow the devil to steal this message from your heart when you walk out these doors this morning. Listen to it again. Review the notes again. Let this get deep into your heart. Grasp what you know to be the will of God. Can you say amen? Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. And I can tell you the will of God right now is if you do not, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, that you would ask Jesus to come into your life, that you would accept his forgiveness of your sins. And God will come in. It's so supernatural. God will come in. He'll change you from the inside out. 
Remember what we said at the opening? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. God will change you from the inside out, everything that pertains to you. It'll happen in a moment where God begins to work in your life. And the way you do that is just simply by asking Jesus to come into your heart. So would you pray this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for rising again on the third day. I today ask you to be the Lord and master of my life. Be my boss. Be my ruler. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out so that I may live the good life by the power of your Holy Spirit. So as much as I know how, I'm committing my life to you today. And it's in your name I pray. If you prayed that and you're here this morning, would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I, I prayed that with you today. God bless you. God bless you. Hallelujah. Someone else say, Pastor, God bless you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for these that are saying yes to Jesus? If you prayed that, if you're part of our online campus or you just happen to be watching, whether it's today on Sunday or later in the week, would you just send me a message? You can email me at info at woodland.church and I'll have something I want to send to you to help you get started in your walk with Christ. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you before you go this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, you know that verse, but what you may not know about that verse is it's not talking about heaven. It's talking about right now. That's the context that what God wants to do in your life. So the God who is said to you, who keep him at the center of it all, he says to you, you haven't begun to imagine. You haven't seen yet what I want to do in your life. I have prepared something for you for now. So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord make you prosperous and productive in everything you do. God bless you. Go home in peace today. Amen.